ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. A group of Australian researchers is trying to develop a revolutionary new treatment for people living with superbug infections. It's called phage therapy, and it involves being injected with trillions of viruses. Sounds like fun. This week, a new documentary is airing which shows how the first clinical trial went. It's gripping and inspiring viewing. Given what's at stake, life-changing and life-saving treatment. The documentary is called Last Chance to Save a Life and it's screening on SBS. And one of the patients it follows is Naomi. She works in health advocacy and she lives on Flinders Island. Naomi, welcome. Thanks, Hilary. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's great to speak to you today. Tell us how you found out that you had an infection in the first place. Yeah, so I developed a lump on my knee back in 2018 Um, I've had rheumatoid arthritis since I was a teenager, so I've had multiple joint replacements and a number of infections over the years uh, that are associated with those infections. Um, uh, And this lump came out of the blue about eight years after my last replacement, Uh, but I knew what it was as soon as I saw it. Um, I don't know where it came from. It was uh, possibly from a scratch from shaving my legs or something like that. Wow, something so tiny could could produce yeah. this infection. Yeah. So what was it like for you knowing that that's what it was at the time? Um, complete dread uh, because I knew what lay ahead from my previous experiences. Um, and I was also just in the process of moving to Flinders Island, so I knew that this could ruin all of my plans. Um, but I immediately... excuse me, went to my medical specialist and they did a biopsy and started treating it with antibiotics. Um, So they were sort of doing a a less invasive approach to treat it in a way because my knee had been open so many times before uh, and they didn't want to risk introducing another bug into my knee. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so they were treating it with dressing care. Tell us what that involved. Um, well, they, they, that ended up being something I would I would do on a daily basis myself, uh, so twice a day, sometimes three times a day. So the infection got progressively worse over, over months, um, and what happens with infections is they try and find a way out of the body. So they create a sinus, which is an opening, and um, that then involves me trying to to literally soak up the, that infection coming out, which is, sounds pretty yucky, but that's that's what happens. And um, and that's how I had to manage that infection for five years. Well, and I mean, it sounds yucky to hear about, but, but we're lucky, I guess, aren't we? Because you're the one having to live with it. But also, what was it like living with knowing what might flow from that? Yeah, well, it's, I guess it feels like I'm living with a ticking time bomb. Um, You know, there's the swelling and the pain every day, but I think more than that is the uncertainty of the future. Um, And, you know, the knowing that my options, you know, are are a bit limited, you know, I've become um, allergic to a number of antibiotics over the years because I've had so many surgeries. So um, all of that's a really scary. and daunting thought. And what's the end point for you, Naomi? What what might happen if they can't get this infection under control? So what would happen is, um, so I was told that I couldn't have any surgery uh, because of, of the amount of surgeries I'd had in the past. So um, I had to just literally live with the infection and until it got so bad that my leg would require amputation. 
So that's what's looming for you. And then you're at that stage. You, you're very unwilling to amputate, which is completely reasonable. Yeah. And your infectious disease doctor suggests phage therapy and find out about this trial at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne. What went through yeah. your mind hearing about that? Well, it was a glimmer of hope, I guess. It, it was. Um, I thought, um, you know, my life was kind of a, almost over, but I, I started looking into it um, and realised that this this could be a chance for me. Um, and and then a few months later, he managed to get me um, access to a trial at the Alfred. So I was pretty excited about that. And what was it like sharing this story? I mean, it's it's a really big story. It's your whole life. What was it like sharing that with the documentary makers? Um, I think sharing stories like mine and and for the others in the documentary, it, it brings home the reality of the situation. Um, the superbug crisis is here with us and it's scary. Uh, so if by sharing what I'm going through can bring awareness to the situation, then it's a sort of an easy thing for me to do. Um, but not only that, it can help provide hope to those living with serious infections like myself who have no options left. And Emma, we'll have to let people watch the documentary to see how it played out, but all the very best to you for the future. Thanks so much, Hilary. Naomi lives on beautiful Flinders Island, but as you're hearing, that that is a complicating factor in this this infection that she's living with that could be utterly life-changing for her. Also with us today on Life Matters is the writer and director of the documentary we've been talking about, Emma Watts. Emma, great to have you with us. Thanks, Hilary. Thanks for having us. So you've made films about various kind of medical crises. What made you want to direct a story on superbugs in particular? Well, uh, yeah, I have. I've made a, a bunch of films on different microbes, on COVID and things. And my husband's actually an infectious diseases specialist. And often over dinner, we'd come home and discuss our work. And he'd be talking to me about these patients who are in the hospital. And some of them are young kids and people who the antibiotics have simply stopped working for these people. And I was, I'm always really shocked. I'm sort of saying to him, but surely there's always another antibiotic that we can give them. And so that sort of opened my eyes to this enormous problem that is the superbug problem. And I was actually living in New York about six or seven years ago and I stumbled across this phenomenal story about this woman called Stephanie Strathdee who had used phage therapy. She'd gone on a holiday with her husband to Egypt. Her husband had gotten very sick, a stomach bug. They thought it was something small. But to cut a long story short, he got sicker and sicker and sicker. He had a, went into a coma And um, basically, he was about to die. So he was nine months in and out of a coma. The doctors said to Stephanie, you know, you've got a couple of days. Stephanie went home that night, went online, and she said, you know, I'm going to stop being a caring wife and I'm going to start being the scientist who I truly am. She found phage therapy. It hadn't been used in America for something like 80 years. Because she's a scientist, she sent out a bunch of tweets to other scientists, said, can anyone help me? Within a couple of days, they had some phages, these viruses, for her to inject uh, with her husband at the hospital. They injected him with the viruses. They went through his blood stream. They found the superbug uh, in his guts. Uh, and three days later, he woke up from the coma. A week later, he sat up in bed. And three months later, he went home. So I stumbled across this phenomenal story and thought, you know, I've got to cover. I've got to cover this one. That's fascinating for a couple of reasons. I, I, we'll hear more in a moment uh, from someone who's been involved with this trial about how phages do this magical search and destroy mission. But the long history, the kind of long forgotten history of phages, how did we come to not use them for 80 years? I know. It's incredible. That's the other thing about 
about this story that I just found so fascinating is that it's over 100 years old. People call phage therapy the forgotten cure. Uh, It was picked up by the ex-Soviet countries. People like Georgia and Russia were using it. Uh, But then in the West, along came antibiotics. And so that solved a lot of our problems with bacterial infections for a long time. But the fact is that right now we're running out of options with antibiotics. They're stopping working with our hospitals. And so we have to find other options. That complacency of the developed world is slipping, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And so I stumbled across these scientists here in Melbourne who were using phage therapy uh, for the very first time. Uh, And so I called up Jeremy Barr here, uh, a scientist we've got in the studio, and I said, Jeremy, would you mind if, you know, I followed you on this adventure as you trial phage therapy for the first time? And he was so generous. And the scientists and doctors just opened up their doors and said, yeah, you know, come in and come into our world and, and follow us. It's becoming clear, I think, how worried a lot of medical professionals and scientists are about superbugs and, and how extreme they're getting. So uh, it's, it kind of doesn't surprise me that they're like, yes, shine a light on this. We're speaking with Emma Watts, who's the writer and director of a documentary called Last Chance to Save a Life. You can see it on SBS and SBS On Demand from tonight. Associate Professor Jeremy Barr is the head of the Bacteria Biology Research Group at Monash University, and this is the group undertaking the clinical trial that Emma followed for her film. Jeremy, welcome to Life Matters. Thanks for having me, Hilary. Superbugs and how to treat them has been your area of specialty for years. Tell us a bit about what they are and how they're different from, you know, other bugs. Yeah, so uh, look, a superbug in a sense is really no different to a regular bug. And, and I might say, just to clarify what I mean by a bug, in this specific instance, we're talking about a bacterium. So uh, a bug can also refer to a virus, but, but here we're specifically talking about a bacteria. And so a superbug is very similar to a regular bug, but in this case, it's acquired a gene or a piece of DNA that allows it to become resistant to antibiotics. So these superbugs are no longer responding to antibiotics. They're resistant and they're causing really serious, difficult to treat infections. Jeremy, how common are superbug infections these days? Look, superbug infections are becoming more and more common. Um, You know, I, I would say that this is a really rapidly emerging crisis. This is something that's predicted to become one of our biggest killers in a couple of generations. Um, here in Australia, we're, look, we're a bit more fortunate. I think because we're an island, because we've got a great health and medical system, we're not as exposed. Um, the estimates are there's roughly 7,000 Australians dying of a superbug infection every year, which may not jump out, but you know, in my opinion, that's 7,000 too many. And the real fear is that this crisis is going to continually get worse. We know that antibiotic resistance and superbugs are going to become more prominent and that's going to lead to more infections and more patient deaths, sadly. And does it affect certain groups more than others? It does. So, you know, while I'm sitting here saying that this is a big, scary crisis, and it is, I would also say to people, it's not something that you should be rushing out and worrying about immediately. Uh, Typically, superbugs don't infect healthy people. It can happen. But really what we're seeing is patients who are sick, patients who are immunocompromised or elderly or in hospital, they're the really at-risk patients of getting these superbugs. And when they do, the body, their body is stressed and it's difficult to fight back that infection. And that's when you really need those antibiotics to treat those 
infections. So these bugs have become resistant. Is it going to help at this stage if we wind back our antibiotic use generally and try, you know, not to use them for viruses or the things we're told by our GPs? Yes. So, you know, antibiotics are a miracle drug. In my opinion, I think they're the biggest and most impactful medical discovery that we as society have made. And they are so incredibly important to everything that we do. Uh, Sadly, the more we use antibiotics, the more we breed and select for antibiotic-resistant superbugs. And that means our antibiotics are no longer working and they're no longer useful. Uh, and so, you know, we, we are running out of antibiotics and it, it is becoming a problem. Uh, we can slow this. The more we um, control antibiotics, only use them when we need to, that will lessen the impact of this resistance. What about the idea that, you know, somewhere in the Amazon rainforest, there's a plant that might give us a new antibiotic. Is that a possibility? Look, it is a possibility. uh, But the reality is that we think that we've exhausted all of the antibiotics that we found. Uh, Recently, there was a new antibiotic discovered, but before that, it had been about 20 years before we discovered a new antibiotic. So the likely reality is that we've run out of new antibiotics. We've got to save uh, and really, you know, use the ones that we have well, but also look for alternative treatments because they're no longer working in some cases. Speaking of alternative treatments, a text has just popped in, which I I wondered if we would get one of these. It it pops up when we talk about infection quite often. My husband got a hospital superbug infection in a surface leg wound uh, surgery. After three rounds of oral and intravenous antibiotics over three weeks, he had no cure. We came home and despite advice to the contrary, we tried Manuka honey under a sealed wound dressing and within 24 hours, it was a complete turnaround. It was completely healed within five days of daily honey changes. Surgeon just brushed it off, says our correspondent. What's your advice on that? Look, uh, you know, I think that's an amazing story. Honey is known to have some really strong antimicrobial properties. Uh, it's it's an area I think we should look into. I don't think we quite know the the mechanisms and molecules involved in, in that space. But, you know, it's it's these sort of approaches looking in, you know, hidden uh, under understudied areas that can really uh, make impacts. And honey sounds like it's unlikely to cause harm if you have no other options. Yeah, hopefully not. (laughs) Hopefully, yeah. Fingers crossed the science is not in. Associate Professor Jeremy Barr is our guest today from Monash University. He's been looking at phage therapy. And Emma Watts, who's directed and written a documentary about this clinical trial being run out of the Austin Hospital in Melbourne. Uh, Sorry, the Austin? The Alfred. The Alfred. The Alfred. um, Which is called Last Chance to Save a Life. Uh, Emma, we we heard from Naomi earlier, one of the patients desperately looking for help from this trial. Uh, Tell us a bit about the other two patients featured in the film and perhaps how, how varied their stories are. Yeah, sure. So we've followed three patients uh, in the film, Naomi, who it was lovely to hear from uh, just before. But we also followed uh, two other people. We followed Alario in Melbourne, who has cystic fibrosis. Young guy. He's a young guy. He's only 22, year old, 22 years old. He loves nothing more than, you know, playing his music and uh, creating hip hop songs. And he's, you know, just a fabulous human being. So we followed him uh, and he was the first patient in Victoria to receive a phage that was created by the team. So we were there in the very moment where the doctors and scientists were injecting him with these trillions of viruses for the first time. I can't tell you, the room was just 
electric. If we had the doctors who were desperately hoping to save his life, all the crew, we'd gotten to know him and his family so well over those months. So, you know, the sound guy, the DOP, we're all desperately hoping it works. And so was Ilario and obviously his mum. And they were so generous with us, just opening up their doors, letting us into their life and into their world. And, you know, having a front row seat to see this superbug problem, you know, we might read about it in the paper, but to see these people's lives and how it affects their lives, often they don't know where the superbug came from, which is a huge thing. And it's so terrifying. You heard Naomi before, it could have been a nick from shaving her legs, you know. So they live with this huge burden and they're just looking for any any option. So phage therapy is offering such a such a promise of hope. And that was so important for me for the documentary. We've all lived through COVID. You know, it was uh, a long, hard period of time and I wanted to make a film that was about hope. So then we've got this great Sydney story. We've got Paul Laszlo, who's this phenomenal bass musician. He plays professionally with uh, all the orchestras in Sydney and uh, he had been living with this horrendous bacteria in his chest. I think he'd had 21 operations when I first met him to try and get rid of the infection inside his chest cavity. And uh, then he discovered phage therapy. And I just remember the day that he'd got it, he said to me, Emma, you know, this is Custer's last stand. You know, I walk out of here alive or dead. You know, this is it for me. And so I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but there were some, you know, incredible stories that we followed in real time as it all unfolded. Well, it sounds like, I mean, obviously that was a huge experience for you as documentary makers to see the stories of the patients, but it sounds like also the commitment of the people involved in the trial stuck with you as well. Absolutely. That was the thing. When you first go in making a documentary like this, you think it's going to be, oh, it's all about the patients. But then I quickly realised, you know, people like Jeremy here and Fernando, our other uh, scientist in Melbourne, they're so passionate about what they do. You know, they work on the smell of an oily rag. They'd be working their public holidays, their weekends to try and make this phage therapy. I mean, people probably have an idea of a medical trial thinking of, you know, a 15, 20 doctors all working on this one thing, doctors and scientists in fancy labs. But really, I'd go to Jeremy's lab. It was just him and one other scientist. They'd be working all weekend, late at night to try and purify these viruses and make them ready for these patients. And it was always at the back of their mind. You know, if this experiment goes wrong right now, you know, poor Ilario you know, it might not work out so well for him. The purifying is interesting. Jeremy Barr, tell us a little bit about how you get these phages organised for people. Yes, so phages are everywhere. It's something people might not know. They're the most abundant entity or thing on the planet. There's more phages than everything. And so what we do when we try to find a phage for a patient's superbug infection is the first thing we need is the superbug. So we take the superbug, we grow that in our lab. That must be a bit frightening. It is a little bit, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Uh, So we grow it up in our lab and then we look for phages that can infect and kill it. And we use different samples and sources from the environment. And one of the best sources for phages is human sewage or wastewater. It's got huge amounts of bacteria and innumerable numbers of phages. And so we grow these superbugs up in the presence of sewage, hoping to find that one special phage that can kill that patient's superbug infection. So it has to be tailored to the particular patient? In this instance, it's very tailored. It's, it's what we call a personalised medicine or a personalised therapy. So what was it like for you having to, you know, race against time to try and find the right right phage for the right bug for these people. Yeah, look, it was 
all of the emotions, emotions combined. It was exhilarating. It was terrifying. There were moments where we thought everything had gone wrong and we'd failed. I remember calling Emma at one point and saying, look, you know, this hasn't worked. We've, we've made a mistake. We've got to go back. And that's really hard when you know there's a patient on the other line desperately waiting this therapy. So it, it, it was an amazing experience, but it was, it was stressful, intense, uh, something I'm very proud to be hard part of. Tell us a bit about how it actually works, because we heard before about how these phages move through people's systems and find the superbugs and latch onto it. How do they do that? Yeah, so a phage is a fascinating little creature or organism. It's a, it's a virus, but it's not a virus that makes us sick. It's not like the flu or COVID. Uh, it's a virus that only infects and kills bacteria. Um, they're fascinating to look at. They literally look like little spaceships or little alien landers, uh, and they move through you know, systems and they'll latch onto and find their very specific bacterium and they'll inject their DNA or their nucleic acid, replicate and then blow the bacterium up and release more phages. They explode it. They literally explode bacteria. Yep. Excellent. And those new baby phages go on and, and they infect more bacteria. And so we're using this to kind of create a viral infection to kill that patient's bacterium um, and to treat that superbug. So this is an experimental treatment so far. What are the implications of that? Are we able to say that it's successful? Are we able to say we might see more of it in future? Yeah, so it's a question we get quite often. You know, phage therapy is currently an experimental treatment, which means it's not approved by our regulatory agencies. Yet. Uh, yet. That's a good point. Yet. We hope it will be in the coming years. Um, being an experimental therapy, you know, we, we are still working on building up the data, building up the case studies, and, and eventually we, we hope it will be approved. I can give you some numbers. So this personalized phage therapy approach has been used to treat about three to 4,000 patients worldwide over the last couple of years. And we're seeing about a 70 to 80% success rate, which is good. You know, maybe some listeners might expect that to be a bit higher and we hope it will be. And the point I would make there is that, you know, we are treating patients who are incredibly sick, really, you know, to quote the documentary, it's their last chance to save their lives. And we hope that when this therapy is approved, we can get this to patients earlier, we can apply it more broadly, and we can have a bigger impact to combat these infections. Are there risks involved to the patients? I mean, I know these people are desperate, but I also know you would have to fill out so many forms about yes. medical ethics here. Of course, there are risks. Uh, and yes, all the patients that are enrolled in these trials have to say sign consents. We are very open and honest with all of the risks associated, the benefits. You know, you know, the reality is we're producing this virus, this medicine in our labs, and they're transported to the hospitals and administered by clinicians directly to these patients. Broadly, in my opinion, phage therapy is safe. There are, of course, risks. I think the biggest risk and thing that I get concerned about is, is whether or not our, our phages are contaminated. And so we do a lot of steps and we get external validation to make sure all of our products are safe. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it is a broadly safe therapy from what we've seen. And as we build more data, we'll hopefully be able to demonstrate that. I'm just picturing this incredible process of checking and rechecking in the cupboard, which is your lab at Monash University with your, your co-worker. Uh, co Emma, what's, I understand that during the making of this, you had an experience yourself that really brought home how, how important this is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so often we hear that anyone could be infected by a superbug, especially, you know, when I was interviewing these doctors and scientists, I'd hear, you know, even healthy people could get it. And the sceptical part of my mind would be thinking, thinking, hmm, 
really, can they? Anyway, so I was in the edit for the film and I had a lump on my leg and I'd been to the doctor. She'd given me some antibiotics and then the antibiotics were no longer working. And to cut a long story short, I ended up having emergency surgery, going under a general anaesthetic uh, and having the superbug removed from my leg. So, you know, it was terrifying for me. I've got a six-year-old son. I didn't want him to get it. And I was, you know, sitting there watching people like Jeremy on my laptop tell me, you know, that by 2050, superbugs might be one of our biggest killers. So I was really lucky. Obviously, the superbug that I had was nothing like the one that Naomi had or anyone else in the documentary. But it really hit home how important this story is and that superbugs will affect all of, all of our lives in the future. Second biggest cause of death after heart disease by 2050. That's a, a Scary, big take-home message for me, yes. Yeah. So the doc- documentary is called Last Chance to Save a Life. It airs on SBS tonight. You can find it on SBS On Demand beyond that too. Jeremy, Emmett, thanks so much for coming into Life Matters today. Thank you so much for having us. Emma Watts is the writer and director of the documentary and Associate Professor Jeremy Barr is the head of the Bacteriophage Biology Research Group at Monash University. You heard earlier too from Naomi, who's one of the patients who participated in the documentary and shared her story of this, this desperate hope for a treatment. You're listening to Life Matters. A couple of texts on this. Alan in the Yarra Valley says, Great health system. Who made the superbugs? We did. And someone else says, the elephant in the room is that 75% of antibiotics are used in agriculture. We have to stop supporting the industrial agricultural systems that use so much antibiotics. There are a lot of big systems in play there, aren't there? Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.